Uh, but he'll be preaching to us this morning. Let's welcome up Pastor Benjamin once again. Actually, I did vomit one time since I was six years old. I, 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 said, it, I said it last night, but I didn't have time to tell the story. I was in Indonesia and um, had finished ministering in, in Nias Island, where we do a lot of ministry, and flew back to Medan. And my stomach was a little upset, but I had to have my favorite juice. There's this restaurant where they make this fresh juice, and, uh, and I ordered three of them. <clears throat> And if you know me, you know I get motion sick, car sick, nauseous, all of that stuff. I'm a terrible traveler. I mean, you know, I don't have an anointing to travel. Um, but I, as, and, and so I, I had a real bad, upset stomach. And then I got to the airport, and I thought I was getting ready to fly to Jakarta from Medan. And I thought, what can I do to make my stomach feel better? I know what I need. I need some iced tea. And so I drank a couple iced teas. <laughs> And it didn't help. So I get on the plane, you know, and the plane takes off. And now I'm motion sick from the, from the takeoff. And we're up in the air. And I'm just feeling like, oh, my God, I'm going to pass out. Oh, my God. And my stomach is just going crazy. And, and, uh, and so all of a sudden I thought, I think I'm going to vomit. I'm like, no, hold it down. <laughs> hold it down. You know, I'm holding it down with all my might. But all of a sudden, I was just overwhelmed. I went to the bathroom, and it, it, was, it was one of those, uh, like, projectile vomit. Like, for, for a minute, I thought a demon was coming out of me. Because I was screaming while it was coming out. It was like, ah! <laughs> I'm just like, you know, <laughs> It happened like five or six times. Ah! Just screaming into the toilet, and it's just like juice and... Ice tea. <laughs> and that was like 2007. So s- since then I have not vomited. Other than that one time. Just thought I would share that with you. It's not a part of my message. That wasn't part of my time, was it? No, I'm just kidding. It was. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. The thing you need to understand is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not episodically manufactured. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is something cultivated rather than manufactured. I remember when I was in college and I, I... the Lord was opening up doors for me to minister in different places and preach in different places. And I remember that three days before the preaching engagement would be the most spiritual three days of my life. And, you know, I'd really start going after God. God, give me a word. God, give me a word. Tell me what you want to do. Give me a word. Give me some leading. And I remember one day I was in the prayer closet and I was crying out to the Lord and the Lord spoke to me and he said, son, I said, yes, Lord. See, I love when he calls me son. He said, you sure are spiritual. I said, yes, Lord. He said, right about the time you have to preach. And then he said this, when will you stop playing with my hands and just look up into my face and be transformed? I was trying to work up something so that I could get ready to minister. 
And what I began to realize is that the anointing is something that's cultivated over years. You know, somebody asked me, how do you prepare to preach? And I said, I've been preparing to preach for 36 years. I don't, you so how many hours do you spend? No, I spend years preparing to preach. Each message has taken me 36 years to prepare. And by the time I turn 37, I'll have added a year of preparation for every message that I preach. Every moment that I'm studying, every moment that I'm in prayer, every moment that I'm seeking the face of God, something is being cultivated in me. And what happens is what God wants to do is cultivate a well that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And what you find is that you can draw from that well anytime. It's, I mean, imagine it. You're on the street and you run into somebody who needs healing and you have to stop and pray. You don't have time to go into your prayer closet for three hours and pray that you get an anointing. But what you find in that moment is that the anointing already rests upon you and that it's growing within you. And so God wants to remove the episodic mindset where we see everything as an episode. You know, a lot of us living the the spiritual life, living the Christian life, we think we're watching friends. You know, when you watch, when you watch a sitcom, you don't have to watch the whole series. You could just pop in and watch one episode and go on about your business. And two months later, pop in and watch another episode. Each episode is self-contained, but it's not that way in the spiritual life. See, some of you are getting down on yourself because you think you've been so unspiritual for the last three weeks or the last month or the last two months. And what you don't realize is that God is looking at your entire life. He's not looking at two weeks or a month or a day. He's looking at what's been growing in you for your entire life. The problem with development is that I can only be aware of one thing at a time. I cannot right now be aware of everything that's in me. Matter of fact, honestly, I'm just standing right here before you. I'm not even even fully aware of the word that I'm going to preach to you tonight, this morning. I only have the next thing in my mind that I'm getting ready to say. And it's not totally prophetic where God just suddenly downloads the whole message. Wow, you got that message right there? No, I've been developing that message for 36 years. God grows a message in you. He grows ministry in you. He doesn't just drop it on you suddenly in a moment. You have no idea that right now you're being prepared for something. And God is using everything in your life to prepare you to be the witness that he's called you to be for his glory. And he uses stuff you don't even know he's using. He's working in you in ways that go beyond your understanding. God spoke to me once and said, Benjamin, I'm going to use you beyond your awareness and without your permission. I'm going to do things through you that you have no idea that I'm doing, and I'm not going to ask you first. I'm just going to do it. One of the recurring themes through my life has been disappointment because of what I have perceived that God has not done. And again and again and again, God blows up that paradigm. Stop looking at what you see me doing and understand that I am working a work under the cover of darkness that you could not see. There's stuff that God will do through you that he will never let you see. Because if you'd see it, you'd mess with it. And if you mess with it, you'd kill it. And so God says, I'm going to do it in secret. Sometimes you got to stop and rejoice in the secret work of God. That God, you're doing something that I can't see. You're touching people. You will never get back all the testimonies of what God has done through you. And you know, I used to clamor for the testimony. 
I used to go around after ministering and ask people, so what did God do? What, I, why? Because I need the testimony so that I don't go home and feel like a failure. I need the testimony so I don't go home and feel empty or, or feel like I failed or feel like I was inadequate. And, and, and the Lord took me to the place where I stopped looking for the testimony. The testimony is Jesus. The testimony is Jesus being lifted up. And what he does through that, man, I know that there are testimonies that will far supersede my ability to hear or to understand them. Because it's the Spirit of God that's working and not me. Now, the one thing that you can control or influence highly is your perception. You cannot very well influence the result of your ministry because God is using you far beyond your ability to understand. But what you can control is your perspective. You can make a decision to look at things in the right way. Now, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 tells us about this man named Enoch. And the scripture says that by faith, Enoch was translated is what the NIV say, or the King James Version says he was translated. The New King James Version says he was taken away. The word in the Greek is metatithemi, which means to be translated from one language to another or transposed from one key to another. You know, when the worship team's up here playing, if they're all playing in the key of G, and uh, you know what I used to love to do when I would lead worship? I'd be playing the keyboard and I would decide to transpose, go up a key. And I would just look at my band and go. And when they saw my thumbs up, they knew it meant we're going up a key. And so immediately in their heads, they had to transpose. They had to take it from one level to another level. They had to see it from one. And when you're seeing everything in the key of G, all of a sudden seeing everything in the key of A flat, sometimes it takes you a moment to think. You got to think about it differently. It's no G, C, D. Now it's A flat, D flat, E flat. It's completely, it's another realm. It's another dimension. Those of you here who are bilingual, and I'm not talking about Konglishy. Because <laughs> there's some that speak neither Korean nor English. They speak Konglish. <laughs> but... At the, the, the language that you're most fluent in is the language that you think in. Not the language that you speak. But the, Now, some of you here can speak Korean, but you think in English. And you're constantly translating your thoughts from English to Korean. It's not natural yet. You're translating. That is, your thoughts are being translated from one language to the next. Some of you speak the spirit, but you still think in the flesh. And so you're constantly taking that which is flesh and trying to translate it into the spirit. And you know how to say the right things. But in your mind, there's still this flesh mentality that you're trying to break through. And the scripture says, by faith, Enoch was translated. That process of being translated from flesh to spirit was complete. And it said he was translated so that he did not see death. I looked at it in the Greek and that word literally means to see or to perceive. He no longer perceived death. Now we look at that passage and the only thing we think of is Enoch being raptured. And yes, he was raptured. I mean, he was literally taken up 
to be with the Lord. Like he didn't, he didn't die. He didn't go down into the grave. He was taken up to be with the Lord. But I sense that the spirit of the Lord is speaking something very specific to us from this passage of scripture. He was translated so that he did not see death. And God is able to translate you by the spirit of the Lord in this life so that you no longer see death. Because some of you here, everywhere you look, you see death. You look at your finances and you see death. You look at your relationships and you see death. You look at your family and you see death. You look at your physical health and you see death. And not only do you see death, but you speak death. And some of you in your minds are translating the perception of death into the language of life. You're translating, but God wants to translate you so that you no longer see it. You no longer perceive it. You think, you think and speak fluently the language of life. You become so fluent in the language of life that everywhere you look, you see life. And you look at dead things, but you see life. And you look at things that are falling apart, but you see life. And you look at things that are barren and empty, but you see life. All you see is life. You can't see death anymore because you've been translated. And it says by faith. But most of us have such an episodic concept of what faith is. You think faith happens in a moment. Ooh, I came to faith for this. And when it doesn't happen, you look back and say, but I believed past tense. Let me say to you that faith is never past tense. It's always ongoing. When the scripture says by faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death. That word by faith encompasses 365 years of his life. It wasn't speaking of an episode, something manufactured in the moment. It was speaking of something that was cultivated over his entire life. Faith was cultivated in Enoch. That faith that said, I'm going to believe God. And he walked with God and believed him for 365 years. And then he was translated. Faith is not an episode. It's not something manufactured. It's something cultivated. It's something that grows. And the scripture speaks about this long-term aspect of faith through the word perseverance. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12, the author of Hebrews says, We do not want you to become lazy. Look at your neighbor and say, we don't want you to become lazy. My translation is, we do not want you to become lazy lima beans. Who sleep in till 11 (laughs) a.m. Oh, Lord. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, actually, laziness in this passage has nothing to do with what time you get up in the morning. So let me just break that condemnation off you right now. (laughs) Some of you are just more productive at night, and that's fine. 
Just wait till you have kids. You'll learn to get up early in the morning. Whenever I hear people say, I only slept eight hours last night. Whenever I hear people say, I only slept for six hours. I'm like, only? I don't remember though. I haven't slept for six hours since my baby was born. Anyway. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience. Faith and patience. Some of you got faith, but no patience. You got strong faith for about five minutes. I mean, when you come to faith, you believe and you believe strong and you're stand, you put, you stand on top of your Bible and declare it and believe it. But 15 minutes later, you're in a pit of despair. Faith, but no patience. You know, we have misunderstood this whole concept of mustard seed faith. In Mark chapter 4, verse 30, Jesus says, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all of the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. That mustard seed of faith that can move a mountain... It moves a mountain when it grows. Yes, a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain if you sow it and water it and wait and water it and wait and water it and wait and water it and wait. You're trying to move a mountain with a seed. I'm trying to move a mountain with a tree. Patience, the parable of the mustard seed is about patience. It's about understanding that everything that is of the kingdom has the same character. It starts off small and it becomes great. It always in the beginning looks like nothing, like a baby born in a manger who grows up and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Starts off small. Little seed or a little bit of leaven. Just that little lump of yeast. But when it's mixed into the entire batter, it causes the entire batch of dough to rise. It works its way through the whole lump. And that's what faith... See, the thing is, faith has to have time to unfold. It has to have time to develop. It has to have time to open up. And we are so episodic, we are, we, are, we are such episodic thinkers in our cultures that all we think of is in terms of an episode. I failed that time. I, fa- I don't see it as failure. I called out a word of knowledge and it was wrong. That's okay. I'm going to keep watering that seed of faith. I laid hands on somebody and they died. That's okay. I, I'm going to keep watering that seed of faith. We were talking to Steve Bochamp yesterday. He was telling us, he said, yeah, I used to go to mortuaries and command dead people in caskets to rise up from the dead in front of their family. So I come and say, excuse me, could I pray for your loved one? <laughs> could I please come up? He rise up and come, get up in the name of Jesus. And he said, he, he said, he, he was praying one time over an 80 year old woman, commanded her to rise up. And his buddy said, dude, she's 80. She's not coming back. She don't want to come back. 
If she did come back, she'd be mad at you. (laughs) What? Do you know where I was? (laughs) See somebody rise up and just start choking the guy praying for it. Before you raise me from the dead, ask my permission. (laughs) James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it pure joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials. Pure joy. Pure joy. Look at your neighbor say, pure joy. Pure joy is undiluted joy, unadulterated joy. Don't cut your joy with a little bit of sorrow. I'm not talking about rejoicing through your tears where I'm disappointed, but I'm believing. But I rejoice in the Lord. We like to pepper our sorrow with a little bit of joy and call it faith. Count it pure joy. Consider it. When it says count it or consider it, it's talking about your perception. The way you see it. The problem is not what's happening to you. The problem is the way you see it. The problem is that you're not counting it joy. You're not considering it joy. And your experience will always follow your perception. You see, spiritual maturity is mostly about your perception of your life. You, If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have already been You have already been uh, transferred out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of our God. You've already been made a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God. He who is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. The old things are passed away. All things have become new. And you are no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. If the spirit of Christ dwells in you. And and listen, I mean, you've already, you've already, you've, you've already exceeded you've already defeated death and 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 life and immortality has already been brought to life through the gospel if all spiritual maturity maturity is is bringing your mindset into full alignment with the reality of what has already been real from the moment you came to faith in jesus christ this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith who is he who has overcome the world except he who believes that jesus christ is the son of god if you believe that jesus christ is the son of god then you have already overcome the world but you think you're defeated by the rent you're defeated because your job situation hasn't turned out the way you wanted but you've overcome the world The problem is your perception. Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what the ESV says, steadfastness. The NIV says perseverance. The NKJV says patience. Patience steadfastness, perseverance, the testing of your faith produces. I started to talk about this last night, but the spirit of the Lord is just stirring it up in me so strongly that God wants you to know that your faith is being tested. You're in a test right now. And if you'll get this in your spirit, it will cause you to understand the season that you're in. 
Say, why is God being so silent? How come he's not talking to me? It's because you're being tested. And the teacher is always silent when the student is taking a test. You ever tried asking your teacher a question in the middle of the test? Um, excuse me, Mr. Rogers. Um, I don't understand number three. Excuse me, Lord. I don't understand why I prayed and it didn't happen. Excuse me, Lord. I don't understand why this happened. Excuse me, Lord. I don't understand why. I don't understand. I don't understand. The teacher is silent. And the reason the teacher is silent when the student is taking the test is because the teacher knows that he has already given the student everything he needs to pass it. You see, a teacher doesn't give a test until he has thoroughly prepared the student. I mean, I've lectured long and hard on this stuff. I have given you every question that I put on this test before I've given you the test. I've walked you through it. I gave you the study guide. I taught you how to answer the questions. And now you're in the test. But every time, I tell you what, in the, in the academic world, you find that every time you take a test, you never feel prepared for it. I mean, when was the last time you walked in to take a test like this? We about to do this. I'm about to knock this out. This test is no match for me. You're always up till two, three in the morning, the night before going, Oh, I don't know it. Oh my Lord. I don't know it. Oh, I don't know it. Oh, I'm going to fail this test. Oh, I don't know it. Oh, freaking out because you don't know what you know. You don't know that it's already in you. You don't know that you've already been instructed, that you've already been taught. You don't know that you've already been prepared to stand in this moment. And you know, when you're in a test, you always feel like the teacher is mean. You never understand the purpose of a test in the middle of the test. When was the last time you were sitting at a test and you're thinking, I'm being qualified to go to another level? (laughs) That's what a test is all about. It's about qualifying you to go to another level. That's why he says, count it pure joy when your faith is tested. Why? Because God only allows your faith to be tested so that he can promote you. The testing of your faith produces perseverance, steadfastness. That word in the Greek is hupomone. Look at your neighbor say hupomone. Hupomone. Compound Greek term. Hupo means under. Mone comes from mene, which means to remain. Hupomone is the ability to remain under. When you were a little kid and you were first learning how to swim, you found that you couldn't hold your breath underwater for more than like 15 seconds. But as you grew and your lung capacity expanded, you started testing that, didn't you? You put your own head underwater. (gasps) And you're counting in your head. You know, when you've been underwater for a, for a, a long enough time, depending on your capacity, you can hear your heartbeat. Boom, 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 boom. 
boom, 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 boom. I mean, you can feel, you can feel it. You can feel it like I'm going to explode any second. And you feel like I can't stand here another second. I got to come up, but I'm going to stand there just to, I'm going to test myself. Why? Because I want my capacity to expand. And over the months and years, as you've been tested, you find you could stay underwater for a minute, maybe two minutes. Maybe three minutes, you have developed hupomone, the ability to remain under. When God cultivates in you the ability to remain under, the enemy comes and pulls you underwater and you say, that's okay, I've got hupomone. I can stand here as long as I need to. It doesn't matter to me. I can fill up my lungs with the breath of the spirit of God and hold it in and hold it down. I can stay under for Lord. When you get to the place where you're comfortable in a trial, now, you know, you've got hoop when you're not desperate to break out of that trial, when you're not crying out, Oh God, in this, I can't take it anymore. Hoop is the ability to go under and stay under God. I'm down here for as long as you need me here. I'll walk through this thing for as long as you need be here. And that's when the joy of the Lord comes because you're not desperate to break free from that which God has put in your life to promote you and take you to another level. Hupomone. Hupomone. Patient endurance. It's like you were a little kid and your mom put you in swimming lessons every day at the, at the local pool. And the first day a bully came and grabbed your head and held you under the water. At first you thought, all right, very funny. You got me. But then he kept holding you there. And at a certain point you started thinking, he's not going to let me up. And so you start flailing and kicking. And then all of a sudden you become painfully aware that you've got about 10 seconds left before you're going to start taking in water. You are desperate. You're flailing and kicking and going crazy. And it gets to one second and within one, within a half second, the bully lets you up, <gasps> scared you to death. You thought you were about to drown. Traumatizing on the way home. You're praying God kill him. <laughs> oh Lord, put him to death. You're reading imprecatory psalms. You know, where those psalms where David prays, Oh Lord, smite them in your fury. Let their arms fall off and let their toes wither. May their bowels lock. You know, he prays all of that, that crazy stuff. <laughs> Make their children fatherless. I mean, David was ruthless. David prayed that. Whew. The next day you go back and that bully is there again. You're trying to avoid him the whole day, but he finds you. And the next thing you know, he's grabbing you by the head and holding your head underwater. Same thing. And every day for the entire summer, you go through that again and again and again. And every day you walk home crying, God, why don't you hear me? Have you ever gone through something that just wouldn't change, that just wouldn't shift? You prayed over it. You fasted over it. You interceded over it. You warred over it. You went into third heaven. You were casting down powers and principalities. You stood on a chair. You were anointing stuff with squirt guns. I mean... You were sending in offerings to televangelists and getting anointed prayer cloths and laying it on it. I mean, you were doing everything you knew how to do and it wouldn't shift and it wouldn't break. Have you ever been there where something just wouldn't change? No matter how hard you prayed about it, don't you just feel forsaken by God? 
the whole summer, this bully every day. And nobody will help you and nobody will hear you. And I'm underscoring that because the spirit of the Lord says expressly that there are so many, there are many of you here today that feel unloved, insignificant, unheard and uncared for. Nobody sees what I'm going through. How come nobody sees how badly I'm hurting? You muster up your faith on the last day of summer. Lord, at least give me one day of peace in this pool. I'm believing that you're going to take out this bully. Haven't killed him yet, but no weapon forged against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises up in judgment against me, I will refute. That bully walks up to you and you say, not today, devil. I know who you are. You can't touch me. I'm a servant of the... On your way home that day, you're crying, you're weeping. God, I don't get it. Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Every day for three months, I cried out to you and nothing. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing me and the words of my groaning? I cry out by day, but you don't hear. By night to no avail. And all of a sudden, as you turn the corner, you see a car go off the embankment down the hill and into a lake. A mother with four children. Without thinking, you shed your garments down to your swim trunks, jump in that lake, swim down, open the door of that car, pull out that mother and those four children, drag them up to the shore. And it's not till it's all over that you realize that three months ago, you didn't have the lung capacity to swim that deep. Three months ago, you would have helplessly watched as those four drowned in that car. And all of a sudden you're thanking God for that bully. You're thanking God for that trial that you had to endure day in and day out for three months. You're saying, God, you used that bully to train me and to prepare me because you knew the dive I was going to have to to take. You knew how deep I was going to have to go. And you were faithful to ensure that I had just the right amount of lung capacity to take that dive. God knows the dives you're going to have to take. He sees the people you're going to have to save. He knows that if you don't have the capacity in that day, people are going to die before you eyes and there's nothing you can do about it. And so what does he do? He, he custom tailors trials. He raises up and anoints bullies. (laughs) Count it pure joy. The testing of your faith is producing the ability to remain under, but let patience the ability to remain under, let it have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When you come to that place of perfect completion in Christ, you come to the place where you stand in the midst of any situation and you know, I lack nothing. There's nothing that I need that I don't have. There's nothing that I need that I don't have. God has given me everything I need to stand in this place and do what he's given me to do. Why? Because I can look back on the trials and the tests. I can look back on the depths that he's caused me to be pulled down into. I can look back on the bullies that have held my head into the water and I can say, My lung capacity is so wide and so deep because God allowed me to be tested. Count it pure joy. 
the testing of your faith. When your faith is tested, it expands. It gets bigger. But the problem is when your perception is bent on death, you allow your faith to diminish. The longer you pray, the less faith you have. The longer you pray, you're supposed to get more faith. The trial's supposed to increase your faith, but instead you came out jaded. Instead you came out disappointed and disillusioned. Instead you came out broken and you came into the church and said, I, I can't get involved for a while because I was broken in my last church. I can't get, I was hurt in my last ministry. I was, I was broken down and be, no, you weren't, you were prepared in your last church. That last church was a test. It wasn't put there to destroy you. It was put there to increase your lung capacity. God was training you for the ministry. Stop looking back on stuff in your life and seeing that you were broken there. Look back and say, I was prepared there. That's where I was qualified. That's where I was chosen. It was in the furnace of affliction that he chose me. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Paul says in 1 Timothy 7 and 8, he says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. Godliness is not just going to happen. You've got to train yourself. Physical exercise is of some value. But godliness holds promise both for this life and for the life to come. So you got to train yourself to be godly. You're in training right now. But if you embrace it as training, it's like going to boot camp. When you embrace it as training, you begin to experience the benefits of the training. You ever seen somebody work out at the gym and then the next day cry and lament that their muscles are sore? What are you crying for? I need healing. Why? My muscles are so sore. Well, what did you do? I lifted weights yesterday. Man, if your muscles aren't sore, you feel like something's wrong. I didn't work out hard enough yesterday. My, when, I, when my muscles are sore, I'm like, yeah. Uh, I got a good workout. And if they're not, you feel like I got to work out harder tomorrow. I got to work out hard. Why? Because that soreness is a good thing. It means my muscles are being stretched. It means they're going to grow. It means they're getting stronger. It means I'm making progress. It means I push myself to the limit. But once I push myself to the limit, I've developed a new limit. Train yourself to be godly. It takes training. God wants to train you. God wants to increase you. Now, all week long, the Lord's been stirring my heart with Ephesians four seventeen through 24. And in that passage of scripture, Paul says, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. And he begins to identify the components of Gentile thinking. Now, so often when we hear this whole concept of walking as the Gentiles do, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? When I say, don't walk as the Gentiles do, what do you think he's going to say next? Sexual immorality. It's the first thing that comes to our minds. We think of what the Gentiles do. But when Paul says, don't walk as the Gentiles do, the first thing that he identifies is the character of their thinking. He says, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Hold on a second. First of all, you got to break free from futile thinking. You must break free from futile thinking completely. You say, what's futile thinking? There's two components to futile thinking. First of all, whenever you begin to think that anything good is in vain, that's futile thinking. Whenever you've worked on something and worked on it and it seems like nothing has come out of it, as soon as you start thinking this is worthless, that's futile thinking. Isn't it funny that it's easy for us to think that good things are futile, but it's not easy for us to think that evil things are futile. When you envy the world, you say, man, I wish I could have fun like that. No, that's futile. But then you look at the life of faith and say, man, that's just hard. The moment you look at sacrifice and say it's futile. If you look at any sacrifice that you made for God and say it was futile. Any time that you spent in prayer and say nothing came out of it. Any service you offered to the Lord. See, the reason people get burnt out in ministry is because of futile thinking, not actually because of the character of the ministry. Because you allowed yourself to think that you were getting no fruit out of it, that no good was coming out of it, that it wasn't doing anything good for you. You allowed your mind to go to that place where you felt like God simply wanted to use you and throw you out. It's the older brother syndrome. All these years I've been slaving for you. Not once have I disobeyed one of your commands, yet you've never even given me a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. I haven't gotten anything out of it. Serving you has been futile. Hasn't done any good for me. And that's the first step, the futility of their thinking. And then it says their understanding is darkened. Feudal thinking leads to a darkening of the understanding. You walk through things, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand what God's doing in my life. I don't understand why. The moment you begin to say, I don't understand, it's because of feudal thinking. Watch this. It moves forward and backward. It says they're alienated from the life of God. Cut off from the life flow that comes through the Spirit of God. Everyone around them is getting blessed in the service. The Spirit of God's flowing, but it's, it's, it's jumping right over me. Why? Because I'm alienated from the life of God. I'm cut off from the life of God. The flow seems to hit everybody else, but it doesn't hit me. Due to the ignorance that's in them. Because of the hardening of their hearts. And there is the, both the beginning and the end of the trajectory. They allowed their hearts to get hard. And hardened hearts leads to the darkening of the other understanding. And when your understanding is darkened, you're cut off from the life of God. I've been spending a lot of time in prayer lately simply saying, God, soften my heart. Soften my heart. I used to spend a lot of time prayer in prayer saying, God, help me understand. But now I realize that a softened heart always moves toward understanding. But a hardened heart can't understand anything. I mean, when my heart is hard, you could sit down and give me 15 prophecies, 14 revelations, 16 exegetical papers. You know, I mean, you could give me expositional messages from scripture. You could break it down in the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. I can even have an angelic visitation, but I'll walk away going, I don't understand. 
Why don't you understand? Because your heart is hardened. Your heart is hardened. Your heart is hardened because you felt like God was out to hurt you or you felt like God allowed you to get hurt. You felt like he should have protected you from something that he allowed you to walk through. And so you allowed your heart to get hard. Let me tell you, this has happened to some of the most powerful men and women of God in the history of the church. Men who have walked in great signs and wonders and mighty deeds somewhere along the way, allow their hearts to get hardened. And when the heart gets hardened, ignorance enters in and begins to dwell there. Ignorance is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. I have no idea what God is saying, what he's doing. And I'm alienated from the life of God. And I continue to serve the Lord because that's what I'm supposed to do. But there's no flow of life in it. I feel like my service to the Lord is emptying me rather than filling me. Goes back to a hardened heart. And in the next verse, he says, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality, to all kinds of perversion with greediness. Having lost all sensitivity, whenever you see a great man or woman of God fall into gross sin or immorality or something that brings down their ministry, and we've seen it happen again and again and again, especially in the last hundred years of Christian history, it didn't start with sin. It started with a hardened heart. Don't let your heart get hard. Perseverance is the ability to walk through great disappointment and great tragedy. You know, Pastor Daniels has been telling me this for years. See, you know why I follow Pastor Daniels? Not because of the success of his ministry, but because of the success of his way of life. I mean, that man just walks with God. But I've seen him walk through multiple church splits. People rise up in the church, take 50 people and leave. People come against him, prophesying against him. People take, taking, you know, bringing charges against him and, and with his denomination. I mean, he's gone through all kinds of garbage. He's been dishonored again and again and again. He's experienced disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. But what I see him do every time he hits a place of disappointment is go to his knees and say, God, open my heart. I open my heart to you. I open, don't let my heart get hard. Don't let my heart get hard. Open my heart. Open my heart. I open my heart. He told me, he said, Benjamin, people of God have hurt me again and again and again and again. But every time one of the people of God hurt me, I go into my prayer closet and I pray till my heart opens to them again. And when my heart opens, I begin to bless them. And then all of a sudden, understanding comes. Understanding can come when you allow your heart to remain soft before the Lord. Some of you are walking around with hard hearts, waiting for God to show you something, waiting for him to give you a revelation, waiting for him to bring understanding. Let me tell you something. Understanding can't even enter into a hardened heart. When your heart is like stone, nothing can enter into it. But in Proverbs chapter 2, Solomon says, wisdom will enter into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And then discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. But wisdom can't enter into your heart until you soften it before the Lord. Don't let your heart become callous and hard. Soften it, Lord. And all of the sudden you find when your heart opens, even in the midst of the most devastating situation, Even in the midst of the deepest disappointment, when your heart begins to open again, it begins to soften. Your understanding is enlightened. 
The opposite is in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 17 and following, when Paul said, when, I've, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love in the Spirit, I've not stopped... I, I, I'm not stopped praying for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. He says, I'm praying God would give you wisdom and understanding so that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. Here he says in chapter 4, 17 and following, he says, their understanding has been darkened. I'm in the dark. I don't understand what God is doing. The only thing God needs you to understand is that you're in a test and the test is designed to promote you. You need to begin to say that when you're walking through a trial. I'm in a test and the test is designed to promote me. It's not designed to destroy me. It's designed to promote me. And then he says this. This isn't the way you learned Christ. You haven't learned Christ this way. You were taught, according to your former way of life, that you put off the old man, which grows corrupt with its deceitful lusts. You see that? The old man grows corrupt. There is a progression. It gets worse and worse. It grows corrupt. But the new man was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice it doesn't say the new man grows. The old man grows. The new man was created. On the day God created Adam, he became the man God created him to be. Here people say, I just want to become the man God created me to be. Put him on. God already created that man. Put him on. Put off the old man and put on the new man. You have already been given fullness in Christ. Understand that what God has created in you is already perfect. It's already complete. The expression and outworking of that simply comes through patient endurance. Understanding that as you walk through the test, if you persevere, you're going to receive the crown of life that God has prepared for those who love him. Put off the old man. Make a decision. I'm done with that. I'm, d- I'm going to put on the new man. We need to pray for wisdom that God would teach us how to put on that new man. Make a decision. I'm going to learn how to put on that new man. Do you realize that there is a level of spiritual maturity that you will step into immediately the moment you put off the old man and put on the new man? There's something mature, something perfect, and something complete that you can step into the moment you put on that new man and the moment that you embrace the patient endurance necessary to grow fully into him. You're being tested. But if you stand the test, you're going to receive the crown of life that God has prepared for those who love him. I want to encourage you today. Stop looking at your life episodically. Look at your life holistically. Don't look at, you know, some of you are looking at the last month and thinking, oh, I haven't grown. Look at the last year. You know, that's why I love listening to Pastor Marcus preach. Because I remember when I met him in the summer of 2010. Man, that dude didn't know nothing. <laughs> he would share stuff and be like, man, you don't know nothing. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't say that to him. But he was a kid. And now he's a man. You know, 
I listened to him preach, especially I remember the message he preached about roaming. You remember that message, roaming charges on your phone? He said, yeah, you can roam, but roaming is mad expensive. Anyway, you got to get that message. But listen, what I'm saying to you is that you're in a test right now. Many of you are in a test. But if you stand the test, you're going to receive the crown of life, which God has prepared for those who love him. Stop thinking episodically and stop being so hard on yourself. Some of you are your own worst critic. You're more judgmental of yourself than God is. And you say you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but you've forgotten that the Holy Spirit does not convict God's people. Jesus said he will convict the world of righteousness, sin, and of judgment. But he said, but you, he'll guide you into all truth. When he sees me walking the path of error, he comes and puts his arm around me and says, no, son, not that way, this way. Conviction is always followed by condemnation, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there's no conviction. There is correction, but correction is different from conviction. Conviction is a guilty verdict. Correction is simply being guided out of error and into the truth. And he's walking with you, and he's going to see to it that you hit your mark. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I bless you today, and I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. I thank you that what you're doing is so mighty and so powerful. God, there's so many here this morning that are walking through a time and a season when all they can see is the test. All they can see is what's gone down and what's gone wrong. The chaos of the last season. But this morning I bring the word of the Lord. God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, you will not be moved. Some of you are standing in a precarious place where you've been saying, God, I don't know how much longer I can stand here. I don't know how much more of this I can take. I don't know how much more of this I can take. I renounce and refute that in Jesus' name. You can take it. You can stand it. God's taking you to the place where you stand strong and confident even in the face of a trial. Lord, I can stand here as long as you need me to stand here. I can walk through this as long as you need. And I'm not talking about constructing a trial for yourself or feeling guilty when God brings you out of the trial. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. I know how to be lifted up. I know how to be taken down. I know how to be hungry and I know how to be full. When God takes me into a season of fullness, I eat everything he sets before me. When he takes me into a season of emptiness, I deal with it. I've learned the secret. I can do that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do it. I can be blessed out of my socks. I can be attacked. I can do it. Why? Because I know no weapon forged against me will prosper. It may be forged, but it ain't going to prosper. And some of you have been watching the enemy forge weapons against you right before your very eyes. I mean, you've been watching the enemy. He's with his hammer and he's, he's there. I mean, he's hammering out swords right in front of you saying, I'm going to slice you to pieces with these. And you're saying, God, why are you letting the enemy forge these weapons? And God is saying to you today, I never promised that he wouldn't forge them. I simply promised that they wouldn't prosper. And it's not going to prosper. That's the word of the Lord to you. It's not going to prosper. Your trial's not going to prosper. Your tribulation's not going to prosper. Your situation's not going to prosper. But you are going to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. And this is where what God wants from you. He wants you to inherit the promise, but you only inherit it through patience. You inherit it through patience. It means you begin to believe and you keep on believing. 
You begin to stand and you keep on standing. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, having taken the shield of faith with which you can quench all of Satan's fiery darts, and having taken up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You're going to stand. You're going to stand. You're going to stand. You're going to stand and you're going to receive the crown of life which God has prepared for those who love him. You're going to stand. You're going to inherit the promise. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I just release a spirit of perseverance. I release a spirit of perseverance. Some of you are so impatient. God's breaking it off your life right now. Impatience, impatience, impatience has got to go right now. Impatience has got to go right now. That that cry in your heart that says, God, do it quick. I'm tired of waiting. God says, no, through patience, faith and patience, faith and patience, through faith and patience, you're going to inherit what is promised through faith and patience. I release faith and patience. I release faith and patience. I release faith and patience in Jesus name. Receive it. Just receive it. Now just begin to thank God for it. Stand to your feet. Open your mouth. Just begin to thank God for it. Just begin to thank God for it. Begin to declare, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Faith and patience. 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 Add to your faith. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge goodness, to goodness self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these things in increasing measure, you will be neither barren nor unproductive in the knowledge of Christ. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he's been cleansed. I'm telling you, you're going to add to your faith. You're going to add to your faith. You're going to add to your faith. Come on, just begin to declare it right now. Faith and patience. Receive it right now in Jesus' name. Receive it right now in Jesus' name. There's an anointing for patience. You prayed for an anointing for faith, and now I'm declaring an anointing for patience. An ability to stand the test. To keep on believing. To take a licking and keep on ticking. Come on. You're not going to fall down and cry just because you skinned your knee. You're going to get up, put some mercuricone on it, put some neosporin on it, and keep running. Some of you have tripped and fell and you cried for too long. It's time to stop crying and get up and move on. Faith and patience. You're going to run with endurance the race that is set before you. Run with endurance. The race is set before you. The race is set before you. He that perseveres to the end will prosper. You're going to prosper. You're going to keep running. 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 You're not going to stop. You're not going to stop. You're not going to let the tribulations of your past trip you up and entangle you. Some of you have been in torment. There's a difference between a trial and torment. The enemy loves to jump on your trial and turn it into torment. Even grieving, if you've lost a loved one or suffered a loss in your life, there's a level of grieving that you're supposed to experience. But grieving and torment are two different things. You're not supposed to have torment. And right now, I just break that spirit of torment off of some of you right now in the name of Jesus. The enemy has jumped on your mourning and turned it into torment. I just break it off you right now in Jesus' name. That tormenting spirit in Jesus' name. I'm telling you that God's going to jump on your, on your morning and turn it into dancing. The Spirit of God's going to jump on your morning and turn it into dancing. 
He's turned my mourning into dancing. He's turned my sorrow into shouts of joy. He's going to give you beauty for ashes, strength for weakness, the oil of joy for the spirit of mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You will be called the planting of the Lord. You will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to rejoice right now. Just begin to rejoice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The perseverance of the saints. Perseverance is in you. Perseverance is already in you. It's already in you. It's just going to grow. It's already in you. It's already in you. It's already in you. You've already got it. You've already got it. You've already got it. You've already got it. Don't say, I don't have any patience. That's a lie. It's in you. It's in you. Embrace it. Lay hold of it. Let God extend it. Let God open it up. You're going to walk strong. You're going to finish the race. You're going to keep the faith. You're going to receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You're not going to falter. You're not going to falter. You're going to be like Abraham. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. He staggered not at the promise of God. He considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb, nor of his own body, seeing that he was about a hundred years old. But he staggered not at the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he believed that God was able to do what he had promised. Let me tell you something. That's the kind of faith that's in you. Abraham faith. You are the seed of Abraham. And that means you've got his faith. You've got his faith. And you're going to stagger not in unbelief concerning the promise of God. But you're going to be strengthened in your faith and give glory to God because you believe that God is able to do what he's promised. And right now, God wants to translate you so that you no longer see death. You've been seeing death for too long, but God's about to translate you right now. Translate. You're about to speak a different language. You're about to speak the language of life. You're about to speak the language of life. You're not going to speak death anymore. You're not going to see it anymore. You're not going to think it anymore. You're going to see life. You're going to see life. He has, he, has, he has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And you are recipients of that anointing. You got it. You got it. In Jesus' name. Father, I give you the glory. And I say it is finished. Amen.